Good morning. Good morning. All right, turn your uh, Bibles, please, to 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to do a quick review of uh, last week, uh, mainly because um, what we have in the verses we're looking at today refers back to those, those verses. And last week, uh, we were teaching from chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. So if you'd turn there, please, I'd like to read from there. Okay, Peter writes, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in last time. So Peter's talking about our great salvation, and these verses talk about our inheritance from our great salvation. And the first point that we talked about last week was the source of the believer's inheritance. The source is God, the Father, who is also the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. We talked about the motive for the um, believer's inheritance. The motive is where it says, who according to his great mercy, according to God's mercy, that was God's motive, if you will, for blessing us with our great inheritance that we have waiting for us in heaven. And then we talked about the appropriation of the believer's inheritance. We have um, been blessed by God's great mercy because he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Born again, living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So when we talk about we've been born again, that's exactly what Peter's talking about right here. We've been regenerated. We've been given a new life. And with that comes the living hope. And the living hope is our inheritance, that we will be with the Lord one of these days in glory. And notice that it's um, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, that is, that is the, um, that's the assurity, if you will. Because Jesus died and rose from the dead, then we will one of these days also. Then we talked about the nature of the believer's inheritance. That is imperishable, which means it's not corruptible. It's undefiled, which means it's unstained or unpolluted. And it will not fade away. And that's a, that's, fade away is a word that describes a flower that does not wither and die. In other words, the flower does not lose its beauty. It does, does not lose its magnificence, magnificence, if you will. Um, Ed, and then... Ed, sorry, kicked out again. My, my, my. <laughs> Let me see. It lost its inheritance.
Okay. You know, when you talk, talk about inheritance, I think of a family and, and they gather together and the grandpa passed away or whoever, and they said, well, let's see what's in that inheritance. Is there anything for me? And so they, they read the thing and, and, you know, well, this is much goes to Wilson. Wilson gets this much and Doris gets this. And, um, and the people are excited to be there. And all the more we ought to be excited about our inheritance that will last not for the time until I put, put in the grave, but it'll last for eternity. Mm, amen. Forever and ever and ever. Amen. Right, Woody? Amen. Yes, well, come on, say amen. Amen, bro. All right. <laughs> amen, bro. The other thing that you mentioned is um, you may not know what your inheritance is. You just may think that it's going to be there with no idea what it is. I have no idea. We know what our inheritance I is, know, don't we? I know. That's right. Amen God, to that. Because God is different from the government. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Praise the Lord. Also, we talked about the security of the believer's inheritance. Um, our inheritance is reserved in heaven for us. Amen. That means it's like put in heaven's bank. No one else can get it. It's ours. It's, it's for us. And not only is it reserved and protected for us, but Peter says, who are we protected by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time? The security is the inheritance itself, and the security is in us being there to get that inheritance. So that was uh, last Sunday what we met. So we'll go on to this, talking about our great salvation, our inheritance, verses 3 through 5, and now we're going to talk about our joy, our great salvation and our joy. During the reign of Bloody Mary of England, a Dr. Roland Taylor of Hadley was reported to the authorities for refusing to allow Catholic Mass in his church. He was arrested was tried and sentenced to death by fire. On the way to the place of execution, um, the following is reported of Dr. Taylor. If I may read this, it's going to be a short one this time. On the way to his execution, all the way, Dr. Taylor was joyful and merry. Now, he's going to his execution as one that accounted himself going to a most pleasant banquet or bridal. He spoke many notable things to the sheriff and yeoman of the guard that conducted him and often moved them to weep through his much earnest calling upon them to repent and to amend their evil and wicked living. Oftentimes also he caused them to wonder and rejoice to see him so constant and steadfast, void of all fear, 
joyful in heart and glad to die. I believe he exhibited the joy that Peter mentions in his letter to persecuted believers centuries before Dr. Taylor. So let's start with verse 6 of chapter 1 and and read through verse 9. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. How can God's children have joy under such horrible circumstances? And I could read to you account after account after account of men and women who have been killed for the cause of Jesus Christ, and they had joy as it was happening. How can that be? How can Peter expect people going through these distressing times, these fiery trials, how can he not just expect them to have joy, but tell them they're supposed to have joy? How can that be? Well, the answer to that question is the learning goal for this morning. That's what we're going to look at. Now, our search for this answer begins in Luke 15. If you would like to turn there, Luke chapter 15. Now, Luke chapter 15 um, gives us the three parables that Jesus Christ gave. The first was the lost sheep. The shepherd had a hundred sheep, all right? And um, one of them was missing, and he goes out and he finds that lost sheep. And verse 6 of 15 says, And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me. Rejoice with me, he says. For I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you, that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. The next parable is about the lost coin. Or what woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me! For I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The next parable is of the prodigal son, of which you all are pretty familiar with. Uh, What I'd like to do is read verse... Let me see. Start with verse 30. But when his son of yours came... 
who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Verse 31. And he said to him, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for his, this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. In these parables, there's great cause for rejoicing. Now, these are parables. So what are these parables of? What is, what is the subject that they're really talking of here? When they go through something and they come to the end and there's rejoicing, rejoicing, rejoicing. What is Jesus trying to teach about here? Okay, about what he has done for us. And what has he done for us? He's given us salvation. Salvation, exactly. All three of these parables are about salvation. It's about those who are lost, and now they've been found. Uh, that Now they live, okay, as he said about the, the prodigal son. Now they live. It's rejoicing because of salvation. Rejoicing because of salvation. Mary in the Magnificat. Remember she says? She says, my soul, what? Does magnify the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in what? God, my Savior. She's rejoicing in salvation. God, my Savior. You know, the Bible shows us that genuine salvation is followed by great joy. Not just heavenly joy, but earthly joy also. Uh, I'm reminded, uh, and, and if you're there on Sunday evenings when we have baptisms, somebody gives their testimony about how they got saved. They get put in the water and they come out in newness of life. And what does everybody do? They applaud, don't they? Joy, joy. We're sharing in the joy of someone being saved. We're saying in the joy of the lost sheep that has been found. We're sharing in the joy that a prodigal son has come home and now has life. So the Bible puts genuine salvation and joy together. Uh, and that's also in the Old Testament, uh, as well as the New Testament. For instance, the psalmist in Psalm 43, 3 through 4, talking about salvation, where the psalmist says, send out your light and your truth. They shall lead me. They shall bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling places. That means going to heaven. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you. God my exceeding joy. And then I think this is David, Psalm 51, verse 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. The joy of your salvation. He says that. And then even over in Isaiah, uh, chapter 35, verse 10. Uh, this is a song we used to sing at our church all the time. Do you guys, have you ever guys heard that song? And the redeemed of the Lord shall return. And come singing unto Zion. Well, that's where it comes from. Look at this. And the redeemed of the Lord, those who have been saved, the redeemed of the Lord, will return 
and come to Zion with joyful shouting. Joyful shouting. And everlasting joy will be on their heads and will obtain gladness and joy. Look at the joy, the joy, the joy because of salvation and sorrow and sighing uh, will flee away. Yes. Um, uh, it's 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 um, a, a, a great comfort and insurance to look at the prison epistles, mm-hmm. and they were written by Paul when he was in prison. Mm-hmm. He had chains around him, he, and he was tied down with these chains, and. In Philippians, there are ten verses that speak about the joy uh, of the believer, uh, and uh, or joy or rejoice. And and Peter was just, uh, and Paul was just a few years away from being um, snuffed out, mm. killed. Yeah, and, and but yet. Over and over in, in the book of Philippians, and I think you'll find in other, other prison epistles too, the, the joy and rejoice is a strong theme. It is. It is. And it's, and it's connected with our salvation. That's where the joy is. Okay? Now, um, Wilson may be happy that maybe now that they have a medication that's going to help with his eyesight, at least, or keep it from getting worse, and you can be happy about that, but that's no happiness at all like the great joy that Wilson would tell you about for his salvation. All right? Um, genuine salvation is always connected with great joy. And, you know, this is one lesson for us today right off the bat. The Word of God teaches us over and over that our salvation joy should be our constant expression. Our constant expression. It should be our lifestyle, folks. In light of eternal salvation, that that ought to be on our minds all the time. I don't care what you're doing, where you are, what you're going through, that that joy of salvation ought to always be there in the back of your mind or the front of your mind. But that's what the Bible's teaching us. And and this joy, this salvation joy, it's not dependent upon circumstances, but it's in light of of the circumstances, not dependent upon the circumstances at all. Joy is not happiness. Happiness is that feeling or that emotional state which comes from positive, temporary, external circumstances. All right? We can talk about happy times and, and memories, happiness and everything. But, but those are, that's all temporary. Joy, this joy is not temporary. This joy is a disposition, a disposition, and it's a thankful expression of knowing with confidence. This is where it comes from, confidence of our eternal inheritance. See, people who who don't know for sure that they're saved, when you talk to those people, those people are not full of joy. They're full of anxiety and worry because I'm not sure I'm saved. I've talked to people like that. And the concern of, uh, on their minds is, I'm not sure I'm saved. And you know what? They don't have the joy of their salvation. They don't have the confidence that they have an inheritance waiting for them in heaven. 
Joy is not something that should come and go based on circumstances, but it's permanent. And you know what? It's inexplicable to the unbelieving world. Try to try to describe the joy of your inheritance. Try to describe the joy of your salvation to an unbeliever, and and try to to, to get that across to them. And and it's inexplicable. They're not going to understand it, folks. They're not going to understand it because they haven't experienced it. The joy that you have from your salvation, that inner joy that you've got, you, you just you just can't. You just can't, there's no words that describe it, if you will. As such, joy, the salvation joy that we have, is to be a permanent part of our lives. As a matter of fact, it ought to be at the top of priorities in our thought life, in our heart life, if you will. And it comes from that deep confidence or surety of our eternal salvation, our inheritance that's waiting for us. And keep in mind that this teaching about salvation is precluded by election, okay, which gives us a confidence in our inheritance. Now our salvation, as we understand it, gives us a confidence or surety in our salvation. Our permanent disposition of salvation joy comes from us having a surety of our inheritance, a surety in a proven faith, surety in a promised honor, surety in a personal fellowship with Christ, and a surety in a present deliverance. That's where it comes from. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about the first one there, which is a surety of our inheritance. Look at verse 6, what Peter writes. In this you greatly rejoice. You greatly rejoice in this. What's the in this? He says, in this you greatly rejoice. Okay, what's this? What's the this he's talking about? What's that? The blessed hope. The blessed hope, yeah. It goes back to verses 3 through 5. It goes back to our inheritance, the, the hope that we have, the hope that's assured hope. All right? That's what it's referring to. And he says, greatly rejoice. Greatly rejoice. Not just rejoice, but greatly rejoice. Turn, if you would, to uh, Matthew chapter 5. Now, Jesus talked about this greatly rejoicing in the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5. Verse 11. If you turn to that, please. Matthew 5. Verse 11. Now, it seems to me... Peter probably was there that day when he gave these Beatitudes because I really believe Peter is pulling from a lot of what Christ taught right here. Verse 11, blessed are you. Oh, wait a minute. I don't know if we want to hear this. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. What does he say? 
Rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad. You, someone got the King James Version? What does it say? Be exceedingly glad. Okay? That's like a double rejoicing. That's like rejoice and rejoice and rejoice. That's like be, be glad for it. What, wait a minute. Gee, what are you saying? People persecute me. They say evil things against me. And I'm to be glad. I'm to rejoice about that. Well, look what else he says. For your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were there before you. Okay? Be glad. Why? Because your reward in heaven, your inheritance that's waiting for you is great. Those words that Peter's using and Jesus is using about being greatly rejoicing, exceedingly glad. Those words. Uh, back in First Peter, when Peter writes this, notice the uh, verb tense he used. In this, you greatly rejoice. He didn't say, in this, you greatly rejoiced. He didn't say, you will rejoice. He said, you greatly rejoice, which is a present tense in the Greek here, which means you are doing it and you keep on doing it. It's a, it's a natural part of your life to greatly rejoice for your salvation in the midst of any circumstance. Yes, Ashton. Paul oh, was just uh, several years before he would be killed by the Romans. And in Philippians, he says, I do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. There you I'm go. Gonna keep on that pattern, pattern yes. of rejoicing, rejoicing, rejoicing. Up to right. the point where they cut my head off. Yes, which is a reminder that rejoicing then has nothing to do with the circumstances. It has everything to do with your inheritance. It has everything to do with your salvation. And, and as I'm going through this, I'm hoping in your minds that you're thinking about, in my life, do I really rejoice about my salvation that much? Or am I thinking a lot about what's on the news? Am I thinking a lot about what's going on with the car, with my job, with my health, and this? And we get so bogged down in earthly things that we don't keep our mind on our heavenly things. That's a good reminder. Um, Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 20, Truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. Okay, Jesus said, you are going to weep, you're going to mourn, and you're going to grieve. But the world's going to be happy. When did that happen? When were the disciples like that? When? When Jesus died. When Jesus died. The world was happy. The Romans were happy. They were making fun of him and everything. But who, who wept and who mourned and who grieved was the disciples. Jesus said, but your grief will be turned into joy. In Luke chapter 24, verses 52 and 53, um, this, is, this is right at the time that Jesus is talking to them and then he's going to ascend to heaven. He ascended to heaven and they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And we're continually in the temple praising God. Now, if I turned you back to Luke and I asked you, why did they have great joy? Because Jesus has just talked to them 
Jesus has just talked to them, and in spite of their circumstances, I still have joy, <laughs> even though this TV does not want to cooperate with me. All right. All right, now we're going to get the uh, TV back on track with this here. All right. In Luke 24, 52, 53, Jesus, before he ascended, had just talked to them about how they were going to go out and they were going to spread the gospel and people were going to get saved. All right. And why did they have great joy? Because of salvation. Because God was even going to use them for people to get saved. So we have the surety of our inheritance. We have surety also in a proven faith, a proven faith. Um, Look back at verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, even though, now look at you greatly rejoice, even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which perishes, though tested by fire. Notice what he says. Um, even though for a little while, the, the words there mean for a season. It means it's transitory. It means it's going to pass quickly, like once time on earth. Now, Ashton, you've, you've lived a, a few years on this earth. <laughs> and would you testify that it has just dragged on and dragged on and dragged on? I, I, I'm so thankful for the Lord for all he's done for me. And, and I, I'm praising him constantly. Uh, and... I don't know why he would leave me on, here on the earth for 92 years. And if, it, if I live a little bit longer till March, it'll be 92 years old. Why in the world is he doing that? Well, well and just so that I can just thank him and praise him and, and just love him and, 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 and honor his word and bathe myself in his word, all those things. And maybe I can have a little bit of fun and, and, and encourage, encourage you. And looking back, look how quickly those years have gone. Look how quickly those years have gone. Peter's reminding us that what happens to us on earth is so infinitesimal. It is so small. It is so transitory that it doesn't even compare to all eternity. He's reminding us to get our minds off this just immediate problem right here. And look at eternity. Look to heaven. Look to our inheritance. It's for a little while, he says. You know, joy overcomes sorrow, but does not put an end to sorrow. Because it not, does not divest us of our humanity. So joy and sorrow can actually exist at the same time. Notice what else he says. A little while for a season. If necessary. Okay? If necessary, 
that we have this distressing time. If necessary, it's another way to say, if God determines it, if God determines it. You see, they serve a purpose in the believer's lives. Can you think of any purposes that God would want to test us or try us or put us through those difficult situations? Can you think of any reasons at all God would want to do that? Melissa Prusak, who lost her husband just 12 months ago. Yeah. And if you could speak to her and, and just encourage her and, and rejoice with her over the new baby that she's got, I mean, that, that is, that's what church is all about. Church okay. is not lecturing you and putting you down. It's building you up and building you together. And, and say, Woody, I'm so happy that you're here today. And, and Ashton, why, why would you be good at or know what you're talking about when you're talking about someone who has lost a spouse? Because I've lost a spouse. Because you have. Yeah. That's right. And she's been gone so. for nine and a half years, but I don't see her. So we go through difficult times. One reason is this, so that we can help other people. So we can help other brothers and sisters in the Lord. Can you think of any other reasons that God might put us through these difficult times? How about to humble us? Aren't you humbled going through these times? All right. Doesn't that help you help wean you from worldly things? Don't difficult times remind you to look to God and not to things on this earth? Doesn't don't they help us point us to heaven? Okay. It can't, it can't, it can't point you to Washington, D.C. Oh, yeah, that's right. It points you to heaven. Thank you. All right. All right. And, and when you're going through the difficult times, aren't you reminded of all the blessings God has given you already? Yeah. Um, how about to chasten us for our sins? God sometimes puts us through difficult times because he wants to chasten us for our sins, not to punish us, okay, but discipline us so we stop sinning. How about to strengthen our spiritual character, to grow our faith? What has Pastor Farrell said many times about how does your faith grow? What are the three components to help your faith to grow? Time, truth, trials. Time, truth, and trials. See, God does not, without reason, try and test his people. The reason may not appear to us, but we ought to be completely and fully persuaded that it is best for us because it's God's will. And, and I got that from John Calvin. All right. Uh, Peter uses the word distressed, which means physical pain, it means mental anguish. It means sadness. It can mean sorrow. It can mean disappointment. It can mean anxiety. He says various trials, which means diverse. It's, it's the word that's used for many colors or diverse. So it's not just one kind of trial, one kind of persecution. It can be many kinds. And then he talks about this as being proof of our faith. Test, and, he, and he uses gold. As an example here, um, how is gold tested? How is gold? How how is gold tested? First of all, how do you get gold to make it more pure? Fire. 
You heat it up, fire, right? And how is it actually tested to find out how pure it is? It's put through fire. It's put through fire. So he uses gold here as the example of of us being tested. It's tested. You test the gold to make sure it is the pure gold that it should be. So Peter says we are being tested so that as believers we gain great joy and confidence in our proven faith. Why? Because we've been tested. You know, I've heard more than once a believer say, I do not know if I would have the faith to stand with Christ if persecuted. I've heard believers say, I do not know if I have the, would have the faith to stand with Christ if I was persecuted. Well, you know what? God tests us to reveal that to us. When we get tested, people in persecuted times and everything are tested not for what God to find out about their faith so that they can find out how strong their faith is. Find this in the Old Testament too. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2, let me read to you. And you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years in order to humble you, putting you to the test to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Do you think God knew what was in their hearts? So who was he testing them? So who was supposed to learn? They were supposed to learn what was in their hearts. He says more precious, he says our salvation is more precious than gold. Our faith is more precious than gold. How is that? How is that? How is faith like gold? You can't rust gold. Okay. Gold will not rust. Okay. Incorruptible, right, all right, right, okay. It's a, It's like super precious. All right. How is faith not like gold? Somebody can steal gold. That's right. And and that gold, all the gold that you have right now, all right, where is it going to be a hundred, a thousand, two hundred thousand years from now? Well, there's going to be a time. There's going to be a time when this earth and everything is going to melt and be gone, including gold. But your faith will always be there. Okay? Gold is perishable. Heaven is not. That's right. But is that going to be gold in heaven? Oh, you're going through the gold street, aren't you? Okay? All right? Well, I said the earth is going to be burned up. All right. Thank you, Ashley. That was a good one. I like that. You caught me on it. All right. More precious, more precious than gold. Gold is tested by fire. Guess what? Our faith is tested by our trials, our fiery trials, if you will. So we have surety and a proven faith. We have surety in a promised honor. A promised honor. Uh, Peter wrote, So that your faith may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ, 
Who's getting the praise, glory, and honor at this time according to Peter? Jesus. We are. We are. Our faith is going to be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. For instance, let's look at praise. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 2, verse 29, But as he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter, and his praise, whose praise? The person who is a Jew inwardly, a person who has the Spirit of God, his praise is not from people, but from God. There's praise given to believers right there. Can you think of a parable where praise is given to a believer as if Jesus is giving praise? Now I'm going to really stretch your minds. Think of a parable where praise is given. And it's the, it's the example, the teaching of how Jesus someday will give us praise. The talents? The parable of the talents? Exactly, exactly. Back in Matthew 25, verses 21 through 23. All right, the one who was given five talents, his master said to him, well done. That's praise, folks. That's praise from the master. Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things and to the joy of your master. Verse 22, also the one who had received the two talents came up and said, master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I've earned two more talents. His master said to him, well done. It's praise from the master. Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter the joy of your master. Aren't we all looking for the day when we stand before the Lord and he says, well done? Receive praise from him. Well done. All right, so praise is one of the things. Glory, he says, glory. Now, glory is an attribute of God. All right. So how how can how can we receive glory, if you will? Well, in the Christ likeness that we're going to be endowed with. Notice in first John chapter three, verse two. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, look at this, we will be like him. We will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And um, Paul wrote in, let me read this to you, Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. Who will render to each person according to his deeds, to those who by perseverance in doing so seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey righteousness, wrath, and indignation, there will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also the Greek. Verse 10. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good, 
to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then honor, if you will, uh, we could equate to rewards. Let me read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. Beginning verse 10. According to the grace of God, which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another's building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on remains, he will receive a reward. He will receive a reward. So that's the, the, um, the glory and the honor that comes with it. And it comes at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What's the revelation of Jesus Christ? Says it's going to come with or at the revelation. When, what do you think that is? The revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, the rapture, the coming of the Lord, all together. That's right. That's all the rep, the revelation of Jesus Christ come together. When Christ comes.